Welcome to the Proteomics in Proximity podcast, where your co-hosts, Dale Yuzuki, Cindy Lawley, and Sarantis Klamidis from Olink Proteomics, talk about the intersection of proteomics with genomics for drug target discovery, the application of proteomics to reveal disease biomarkers, and current trends in using proteomics to unlock biological mechanisms. Here we have your hosts, Dale, Cindy, and Sarantis. Hey there, it's Proteomics in Proximity in 2023 for everyone. So today we're very excited to talk about uh, a set of samples that were part of several clinical trials. So <clears throat> it's a pharma publication with uh, Eli Lilly and, and Beringer Engelheim. Uh, very exciting results where they dug into mechanistic biology after a successful clinical trial and frankly, a blockbuster drug that has opportunities for repurposing. So let's go. And those of you that are watching on video may be noticing that Cindy's got something in her lap and something that really you cannot avoid, which is a golden retriever puppy. So five, uh, five, Cindy, and five weeks old. Cindy, how in the world do you have a five week old uh, golden retriever puppy in your lap? I mean, how does that work? So through much encouragement of you and Sarantis, I have actually brought this little, this little, uh, gem on camera. <laughs> Never nice. perform nice with, with puppies or children, right? But, uh, this little guy <clears throat> is about five weeks old. And so we're actually raising them to go to wonderful families. And, uh, and they are, you know, just uh, a genetics project, uh, to improve the breed. So I'm this very excited about it. Applied genetics, and you cannot see a golden retriever puppy without just thinking, oh my gosh, do they get any cuter than that? They really don't. I so mean, they really you. don't. Look and, at that little guy. And for those of you who are on audio only, I mean, maybe you'll go to the YouTube channel and check this little, <laughs> this little gem out. He's, uh, he's adorable. He's just yeah. waiting for his next treat because he is a golden retriever after all. Yes. <clears throat> driven by treats. I mean, on the dog, <laughs> on the sort of canine genetics piece, then you're actually, as a trained geneticist, Cindy, then you actually are quite sensitive, right, to the different weaknesses of the different uh, sort of genetics of Golden Retriever in particular, right? Yeah, and the dramatic opportunity that that uh, innovation in genetic tools has provided for uh, keeping the breeding population as broad as, as we can, right? Because we talk about uh, bottlenecks and bottlenecks uh, are we, we measure them in an effective population size measurement. We try to estimate, you know, who's how many real full chromosomes uh, of, of single individuals are there in the population. And being able to test for some of these uh, breed specific variants that are uh, that are causing challenges within specific breeds like golden retrievers, being able to measure those and know who's a carrier, who's not a carrier, and keep the animals that are carriers in the breeding population, just make sure we don't breed them with other carriers, right? So, so right. it's good to have that diversity in there. And we used to just not know, right? So it's, mm. um, it's, that's kind of how I ended up in this was 
from my from my time at Illumina and my excitement about about you know any opportunity to just make a small impact to improve something like this little creature. I mean, it sounds like quite an interesting hobby, right? That you can connect, you know, your interest in dogs and a particular dog breed along with the genetics of it and then yeah. being able to do something about it, such as, you know, yeah. bring along a 5-week-old puppy onto a podcast. <laughs> My husband <laughs> says I don't do anything in in second gear. I'm full throttle every time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of full throttle, so getting back to the paper, the title, <laughs> right, is, well, the drug in question is something called Jardiance, and the uh, the generic name is a mouthful, empagliflozin. And the title of the paper is Effective Empagliflozin on Circulating Proteomics in Heart Failure, Mechanistic Insights from the Emperor Program. First author, Faiz Zanad, last author, Milton Packer. And I understand that Milton Packer is both at Baylor and Imperial College of London. So with that intro, and this was published in what journal, Cindy? Is it Circulation? It's the European Heart Journal. European Heart Journal. Thank you. In December, in December 2022. Yeah. Ah, so it was only published in December. And yeah, yeah Cindy, you want to go ahead and, and introduce it a little bit further? Yeah, sure. So, so... You know, as I mentioned, the clinical trial was not including Olink. Uh, this was post-clinical trial, and we've seen that several times in pharma. We've seen it more than we can talk about, but but several times in publications. And so, uh, one of the the notable publication examples of this previous to this um, impact. And Pagliflozin, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, Jardians, a little easier to say, uh, was an Alnimum paper in hereditary amyloidosis. So that paper, again, was a post-successful clinical trial where the researchers were very keen to understand and unlock mechanistic biology. And I think that's what we're going to talk about today, some of the exciting understandings of some of these inhibitors and how they're implicating uh uh, downstream effects, uh, how other pathways are implicated in these downstream effects, which are, are unveiling some possibilities in other, other disease areas, which I think should be exciting for anyone. And the term Jardins may be familiar to a lot of us, right? In that we may know somebody who's on this particular drug because it's uh, a blockbuster, right? It's some 4 billion euros in sales in 2021 from Beringer, Ingelheim, and Eli Lilly. And apparently, approved in 2014 for type 2 diabetes, and then in 2016 for type 2 diabetes and uh, heart car, cardiovascular disease. And so what's really interesting, I think, from the point of the title of the paper was uh, mechanistic insights, right? So uh, maybe, Sarantis, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Why mechanistic yeah. insights? Because remember, Sarantis does affairs of the heart. Yes, Sarantis. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> I just the love that. Is, uh, I mean, I, I think they test more than 1,000 samples. Uh, yes. First of all, with uh, our uh, Olink Explorer, that includes more than 1.5 uh, hundred uh, proteins. And... Um, the, the nice thing is, again, going non-invasive, looking at plasma of a patient and be able to understand mechanistic insights. That's, I think, that was really exciting for everybody, for everybody else here. It's much easier than dealing with biopsies. And uh, 
I mean, it's more also painful and less uh, and less invasive, less painful and less invasive, obviously. Uh, I think the the goal here is to understand how this inhibitor that's specific against the SGLT2 protein. The SGLT2 protein is uh, a co-transporter of glucose, uh, and this is uh, for this makes it important uh, in type 2 diabetes. And uh, they wanted to see what is the effect of uh, this inhibitor at uh, the heart failure, how contributes to reduce fibrosis, for example, in, in, in heart, and this reduce uh, heart failure. So this particular inhibitor, SGLT2, you're saying it transports glucose, but then somehow it helps your heart, right? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the thing, because it's, I think that this contrasporter protein actually is um, through the glucose uh, is in, is influencing energy, probably mm-hmm. related things or stress related, oxidative stress related uh, pathways, most likely or autophagic pathways. And at the end, uh, after the analysis that they have done, I think they they conclude that uh, uh, there are thirty roughly proteins that they are differentially expressed uh, already by the twelve weeks of, of the treatment. Now, Cindy, it- you. You showing the puppy in the full screen like that. I mean, that's really distracting. But I'll let you distract me. (laughs) I don't think the audience can see it if I'm not talking. But now that I'm talking, I mean, look at that face. So I was just going to say, you know, this, as you mentioned, Sarantis, the autophagic pathways, right? What strikes me is, and, and they talk about this in the, um, in the discussion, they talk about the, the impact on cardiomyocytes as well, as well as the renal tubular cells. And what they say about future study just strikes me, as well as the autophagy, right? It strikes me as so similar to what um, like David Sinclair and Walter Longo talk about in terms of pathways in longevity, right? Yes, the, sirtuin, the sirtuin pathway, the mTOR exactly. pathway, right? Right. Interesting. Actually, this is what uh, fascinates me because it's involved the sirtuin. That sirtuin is, a, is a, like a heat stack. It's exactly. a histone deacetylase that reduces the expression of the genes and is involved in autophagy because regulates the expression of autophagic genes. And now, most of the proteins, that, a lot of proteins, they are regulated by the sirtuin complex, actually, by the sirtuin activity in this in this concept. That, that's really exciting for me being well, epigeneticist. But to hold for that thought for just a minute, you're, we're referring to autophagy. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. This Dev, is, D- wait, Dale, we can't yes. go on from this because I have to say that we have sirtuin 1 in our expansion to our 3K. Okay. And they talk here about about future studies, right? So I'm super excited about that, the mTOR tour as well. So we've got some of these, you know, named proteins that need That's further great. investigation in our expansion. And of course, we're going to be expanding further in 2023. And now, now you can talk more well, generally. I just had to well, make that and, plug. <laughs> and it's really interesting, this connection with longevity, right? This uh, with uh, healthy aging. And here we're talking about, you know, two really common diseases, type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And you just say, and it's all connected, right? It's all and, a system. Well, it's the concomitant uh, inflammation, right? In both yep. of those diseases that, that uh, are really, I think, tying some of this together. And again, we're on a podcast. We can speculate all we want. (laughs) And we love to do that. So please, we're just loving this. But uh, on that term, autophagy, how would you define that? What is autophagy? I mean, it's, it's, uh, if I can say, I mean, it's a Greek word. 
Start oh, there you go. Out. <laughs> I yes. love that. That's I, a great way go. to start. I'm proud, I'm proud of this. I just, <laughs> it's, it's autofagus means that I eat myself in a way, yep. in a simplified way. And this is actually what happens. It's, it's, it's an, a normal condition that is happening. It's uh, under the harmony of the cell because there's a constantly production and autophagic situations happening in order to keep the equilibrium, again, coming from the Greek philosophy and Aristoteles. And I think uh, what is happening is like uh, we, we create an autophagosome where the proteins segregate, we have the autophagosome, and then close to the autophagosome is going the lysosomes, and they decompose in amino acids, for example, that they can be reusable, can be reusable. This is a, a turnover in, in other words, you're talking about trash collection. Yes. Right? Well, and, talking, and, go ahead, uh, Dale. You know, damaged proteins, damaged cellular components, components exactly. are in these autophagic vesicles we're talking about. And you're saying they're next to the lysosomal exactly. uh, compartment. And lysosomes are just general, just grinding up whatever's there. Exactly. And so we have a selective autophagic process, which is frankly collecting trash and getting rid of it. But what happens, right, is what we're saying is that th this particular SGLT2 inhibitor affects autophagy. And it mimics, it mimics nutrient reduction, right, which mimics fasting. And in much of the fasting research, there is, certainly in mice, it's well documented. In people, it's just from imaging, I believe. But again, back to, to these uh, researchers in, in longevity like Walter Longo, but, but that, that, the, that the organs are seen to actually kind of contract slightly during the fasting phase. And the theory, I think, is that these... The, these trash collection events are happening to move out cells. And if we're, again, speculation, if we're thinking about cancer cells as these growing cells that aren't dying on the normal schedule they should, and some of that fasting research suggests that fasting during some cancer treatments can be, um, can be, can be helpful in, in cancer treatments, that, um, that this is, this is even more exciting in my sense about longevity. So. Absolutely. But I and think Dale was talking to you, Sarandis. <laughs> no, no, I agree. It's great. And I, the, only, the only thing I will need to add is like, it's, it's close connected to energy production. For this, mitochondria plays a really important role. Yeah. And of course, in longevity and aging related diseases and aging related no. studies, mitochondria is no. one of the focus of the researchers, so right? So let's stop right there, right? So we were talking about SGL2 and autophagy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and and so the autophagy, meaning there were particular proteins in that Explorer 1.5K panel that were associated with that, and they saw changes right in the circulation because the autophagic mechanism was affected by the drug. Do I understand that correctly? It was like what, what, what? One, yeah, two, like, three, four, like five like or six. Yeah, IGF BP one, right? Um, TGM two. I mean, these are the ones point. that are also implicated in several other 2022 studies that are just corroborating exactly what's being well, seen here. You know, out of so Iceland, just on that, out of Germany. So just on that autophagic mechanism, right? We're talking about six proteins that were affected in the circulation uh, nice. that were measured by Explorer uh, 1536, and what you're saying is that. Even though it's, we're talking about heart health, we're talking about mechanism inside that cardiomyocytes, right? The heart muscle, it's actually reflected in the plasma. 
Exactly. That's great. That's a great point, Dave. That's I mean, because really then I'm like, well, you're talking about the organ. What's happening inside these myocytes, exactly. the trash collection? But you're saying that because of the drug, because of the sort of effect on these particular six genes, we can actually make a conclusion. This is how it works. Exactly. Exactly. Do I understand that correctly? That's perfect. And then, so then you have then other genes now you're talking about before you launch into the energetic side of things, because you're talking about mitochondria now. Yeah, I mean, things that they are, of course, things that they are, uh, genes that they are connected with, uh, as I mentioned, with uh, uh, reflux, with, uh, let's say, autophagic reflux, I'm sorry, with autophagic flux are connected to mitochondria. Autophagic flux, flux meaning sort of the motion, motion of the trash collection machinery. Yeah. And this is like uh, what is happening. Uh, and uh, this is actually connected to mitochondria, but also uh, there are other genes uh, like uh, connected to oxidative stress, inflammation that they're also affected. And we can see the proteins that they are like uh, dysregulated. So you're talking about like the, these other genes that they've listed in one of their figures, TGM2 and IGFBP4, apparently yeah. involved in what? Cardiac renewal? repair and energy metabolism so is this this whole related to the mitochondria just because we know the function of these genes i think at the end yes uh, but i can i can speculate i mean but i i'm, I'm not so sure how is the mechanism of action of, of these genes particularly but for sure at the point they will connect it to since there's oxidative stress and since it's related to stress for sure they will be connected to uh factors like uh, stress factors that they are like dysregulate uh, functions like mitochondrial functions and other nuclear or cytoplasmic uh, regulations. Actually. And again, it's, it's fascinating from an energy usage point of view, right? To be thinking in terms of mitochondrial function. I mean, it's not just something that you hear about every day and yet yeah. more and more attention is being paid to mitochondrial function, you know, and the flow of energy through systems. Uh, there was, it was at ASHG years ago. There was a plenary speaker from UPenn. I'll never forget it because he's talking about energy and cancer yeah. <laughs> in a genetics meeting. But it was like, I'd never really thought about those connections and how important it is. And here it is right in the center of this figure is exactly that in terms of energy use, you know, repair mechanism, metabolism, like you mentioned, oxidative stress, which is a huge topic, right? Yeah, hypoxia factor, for example, activation of hypoxia factor that can then regulate it, upregulate the series of cascades, right, leading to apoptosis, for example, or something. It's it's a really fascinating and really can you actually define apoptosis too? That's a good term to. Did we already define that? That's a great one. I think they didn't. I mean, they don't see apoptosis, of course. No, no, no. I just mean you mentioned it. Let's define it. Ah, okay. Uh, that is the, this is the apoptosis is not the program death, right? At the end, it's not the program death. At the end, what leads to apoptosis? This is yeah. to my knowledge. This yeah. is something that is not program yeah, death yeah. at the end. And it's yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think apoptosis itself is is the um, the self regulation of the the natural death of cells. Or is am I? Am I flipping well, that? Sure, sure. Not- te- technically, it's considered program cell death. Program, program cell death. And that yes. Cindy's correct in that with particular triggers, a cell 
basically goes to terminal differentiation of death, right? Yeah. And it's Thanks, a particular mechanism. System. Thanks, immune system. Yeah, yeah so it's yeah. a particular well, then, mechanism. This is, what, right. this is mm-hmm. what some of the tumors are able to, or one of the mechanisms that tumors are able to evade, right? Some of the tumors right. that should be apoptosing or whatever the, yep. the term of, uh, the adjective term is, uh, that they just stick around and reproduce and then start taking away blood supply and... Yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting, right? We're using terms like autophagy and apoptosis, and these are all Greek words. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So there we go. We have our resident expert here. And I mean, resulting from this particular kind of mechanistic understanding, what could you say is a so what? I mean, now that we understand that these uh, sodium glucose co transporter inhibitors, right? are able to improve cardiac health and able to improve renal health via you know, these particular mechanisms. Um, how, what conclusions then do the authors make in terms of the so what? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, they see the repositioning of the drug, right? That is the conclusion at the end. But they can see that this drug that they used to be for uh, actually diabetes too, now it's can have an effect on, on heart, and they know why this is happening, right? And for sure, there will be follow-up actions, target other molecules and other pathways, but uh, this is an, a nice indication to see why there's an effect on, on the heart. And they conclude yeah. more proteins, more proteins, more proteins. And there's a few, yeah. you know, hypothesis generated in here, and there's some that I think are, are well corroborated by the study, which is exciting. But these are, yeah, I can't but, even imagine how much money went into these clinical trials. And to see extra value come of these samples is, I, I love, I love that. Yeah. And in particular, Cindy, this Emperor Reduced trial had 3,730 patients enrolled. Emperor's Preserved had 5,988 patients enrolled. Yeah. And from each, they chose about 600 from each to have a total of about 1,160 or so samples to be analyzed via Olink. You know, that reminds me of another point that I was thinking that I'd written in the margins Hmm. as I was reading this. And that was, you know, they're bringing together these two studies that probably weren't collected with the plans of doing Olink proteomics in mind. This was 2015, 2016, right? Yep. And yet they bring these together with each of their concomitant, uh, oh, that's my favorite word today, apparently, with each mm-hmm. of their uh, pre-analytical you know, differences, right? Maybe mm-hmm. they were collected and spun down at different times. Uh, and yet, even with the more restrictive uh, false positive rate in this study, you know, about one fifth of what it is, you know, but being even more stringent, the signal just screams out. And I think this... This is a great lesson for those of us who are geneticists who worry about the variable nature of proteins that that some of these biological signals are so remarkable that even with that pre-analytical variation, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And to think that, you know, these signals are in blood, right? Yeah, and they accessible. Could be co- yeah, accessible. Good point. And, and then you say, yeah, you know, how much money and effort was, you know, expended uh, you know, as a rough number, we had what six, nine, almost ten thousand uh, patient samples, right? For the from the two original clinical trials, use a rough number like fifty thousand dollars per patient. You do the math: fifty thousand times ten thousand. All right, 
That's $500 million on a clinical trial. You just say, wow, Dale, how do you get that number? Well, well, 50,000 times 10,000. And then, and then you say, okay, well, the additional value of the conclusion of this paper is to look at mechanism of action, right? For cardiovascular health. Then the question is, well, could we just apply this particular drug only for cardiac health, given, right, that they know how this works? And one of the sentences from the conclusion is, proteomics is rapidly emerging as an innovative approach to gaining potential insights and mechanisms of disease and drug action. My favorite sentence right there. I mean, it really is, you know, the why, yeah. you know, why study yeah. proteins now? I mean, that's a really good question. You know, why study pr the circulating proteins now is, you know, all the work that went into SG developing a, an inhibitor to uh, this SGLT2, right? And then to not really understand all, a lot of how it works other than, well, it reduces heart failure in diabetes patients. <laughs> It's like, well, yeah, hmm. you know, it makes me think about uh, so many of our neuropsychiatric drugs and how little we understand about their mechanism of action, but how desperately we needed them for years, right? And so I, I have a lot of um, optimism about being able to use these same tools. Uh, and we're, you know, always on the lookout for CSF paired with plasma cohorts uh, for our customers who are, especially a lot of pharma, who are are very keen to understand uh, these mechanisms. I mean, yeah. remember Eli Lilly's, like the last blockbuster drug like this that I think of was probably Prozac, right? I mean, probably they've had some in between that I just haven't been paying attention to. But man, what a big, big um, market that still is today, right? And yeah. how important is it for us to understand sort of how these things are working? Yeah, and so for again, us who I live take it, through I that. Take it, I take it off the, you know, off the, the main point here, but hopefully it's it's interesting to to you guys as well. Well, I think many in our audience are familiar with somebody who's on Jardians or they've heard of it. Yeah. And you mentioned Prozac. We live through right yeah. books were written that. about Prozac, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and true. so it yeah, changes society, right? Yeah, it was wasn't so. it on Time magazine as the <laughs> yeah, exactly. as man of the year or something. I don't know. <laughs> Like in our water supply for a while. Yeah, we got yeah. fish on Prozac, right? Yeah. Well, interesting paper. Great discussion. Cindy, thank you for sharing your puppy with us. That was there great. Was great <laughs> okay. Till next time. Take care, huh? Take care. Bye. All right. Thank you for listening to the Proteomics in Proximity podcast, brought to you by Olink Proteomics. To contact the hosts or for further information, simply email info at olink.com. Mm -hmm.